Neither of us have entirely recovered from the incident yet. I expect that we will in time, but it is still a little too recent. It happened a few months ago, when my boyfriend, Mark, and I decided to take a guided tour of a cavern whilst on holiday in Derbyshire. For your own safety and that of anyone who reads this, I won't give the exact location. It was a beautiful July day, sunny and warm, and we all took a cable car up to the visitor centre in the late morning. We had eaten lunch and two ice creams each by the time our slot for the tour came up. I suppose we were both a little overexcited. The cave was huge, and it was beautiful. A few of the tunnels were man-made. It had been a flower spar mine during the Victorian era, but most of the openings that we could see from the main passage had been carved into rocks by flowing water over thousands of years. As we followed the tour, we deliberately hid at the back like naughty teenagers, repeatedly letting the rest of the group get ahead of us so we could explore the caverns on our own and take silly pictures. It was too far and too dark for any of them to turn out well, but we were having fun and feeling a little giddy. The tour guide had to return to where we were a few times to hurry us along. We lingered in a large chamber as the guy was distracted by a family with two young children. We decided that he was going to earn his wage that day by answering every question they had. They were all at a macabre age, it seemed, and were particularly interested in how many people had died down there and whether the caves might be haunted. Their parents stood by, smiling indulgently at their morbid little angels. Well, said the guide, there have been mining accidents down here. Uh, conditions were quite dangerous back then. As to whether the place is haunted, uh, I'll have to leave that for you to decide. He leaned down towards the children conspiratorially, but some of the other guides have said that when they're down here alone, they can hear scraping in the walls. The children giggled, wide-eyed. Behind them, their mother dramatically clutched her hands to her chest and exclaimed, Oh, how spooky. Beside me, I heard Mark give a snort of laughter. He and I were lurking near the back of the group again so that we could examine some of the pretty crystals that covered the walls and badges. The cavern had a few dim lights dotted throughout so that we could all see where we were going, but they were nowhere near illuminating enough to drive away the darkness. They were, however, different colors, giving the crystal a pleasant rainbow hue. We wanted more time to take pictures than we had been given, so we hid ourselves in the shadows whilst the group moved on to the next section. Oh no, I said to Mark as we stepped laughing back onto the path. Somehow we've been left behind again. I spent a few minutes taking photos, first of Mark doing comical poses and then of the crystals. Everything was coming out blurry, though, so I eventually gave up. Come on, uh, we better go, I said, tucking my phone back into my pocket. But Mark didn't follow me. He had wandered into a recess in the wall off the side of the path. A small area had been cornered off with a chest-high plastic barrier. I joined him beside it and looked down. There was a hole. A tunnel dropped straight down for eight meters or so and then sharply curved off to the side. The light in the cavern was just bright enough for us to see down it. It was maybe a meter or so in diameter, easily big enough for a person to fit down. Ooh, said Mark, grinning at me. Spooky, I tugged his sleeve. 
Leave the spooky stuff alone and let's go, or the guide will tell us off again. If you were a proper adventurer, declared Mark, laughter in his voice, you'd want to explore down there. Fuck off, I exclaimed. I'll leave that nonsense to the potholers and cave divers. Don't you remember that John Jones guy and how he died? I knew he did. That story had messed me up for a while. Mark gave the plastic wall a little tug. There was clearly no real intent. He was just winding me up. But to both of our surprise, it lifted up completely and came away. Oh, said Mark, standing there and holding it. I didn't expect that. He placed it down against the wall and then gave me a huge smile. It's like the universe wants us to go down there. I glanced down at the hole, feeling an unpleasant rush of vertigo at the drop and a little chill of fear at the darkness down there. Come on, I pleaded, stepping away. Don't mess around. He saw that I was genuinely a little distressed and softened. I'm sorry, love. I was just messing around. Of course, I remember John Jones. He turned to pick up the screen. I'll just put this back and then we can... Before it... But he didn't finish the sentence. As he reached to pick up the curve of plastic, his foot slipped on the wet rock, and with an awkward twist he tumbled into the hole. I cried out in fear and lunged forward to grab him, my hands clamping round one of his arms as he fell. I was nowhere near strong enough to catch him, but it seemed to slow him enough that he could grab onto the edge and prevent himself from disappearing completely into the darkness below. I released his arm and instead twisted my fingers into the back of his shirt, hoping to help him as he tried to pull himself up. But I couldn't get enough of a grip. If I could just reach a little farther down and grab his belt, that might do it. But kneeling down at the side of the hole as I was, I felt a little precarious, and I was afraid that I would tip in too. Before I could start calling for help, something deeper in the hole caught my eye. Beyond Mark, right where the tunnel curved away into darkness, was a tiny glint of light. I stared at it in confusion. What was I seeing? My brain tried to tell me that it was just one of the lights reflecting off a crystal, but I rebelled against that, knowing that it was something else. As my eyes adjusted to the darkness, I could finally make out what I was looking at. It was an eye. Down in that hole where the tunnel disappeared from sight, a face was peering up at me. Only half of it was visible, the rest hidden behind rock but I could make out its two small pupils, a hole of a nose and a gaping smile, wider than seemed possible, splitting the face open. I could make out its large, flat teeth and the shine of saliva dripping down its chin. A violent shudder ran through me, and the only sound I could hear was my heart pounding in my ears. For a moment, I was completely paralyzed by fear. And then the face began to move out into the tunnel. With a cry of horror, and my previous concerns immediately forgotten, I lunged forward to grab Mark's belt. I yanked on it, my muscles burning with the exertion, my eyes locked onto the thing in the hole. Climb up, I said to Mark. Up, up, get up. Jesus Christ, you have to get out. Mark had no idea what was happening, but was clearly affected by my sudden terror. He began to scramble desperately against the wall, his feet pushing against the wet rock, wrenching himself up to try and get a purchase with his hands. I was trying to lift him, pulling him as hard as I could, but, God, I was so weak and he was so heavy. My screams had become wails as we made no ground and that thing was getting closer. Still just a face in the dark, but climbing. 
its split grin growing wider, coming closer and closer to my boy. And then suddenly, Mark was rising up. I barely registered that there was other people there, other hands lifting him out. We were both dumped unceremoniously onto the floor, where we lay beyond exhausted. I was almost oblivious to their concerned questions or the tour guide standing over me, angrily asking why we'd moved the screen and what we thought we'd been playing with. I just hung onto Mark and cried, my eyes still locked onto the hole in the rock and what might come out of it. But there was just darkness. Unsurprisingly, the tour was cut short and we were taken back to the entrance, given stern words and told not to come back. On the cable car ride back to the car park, Mark just held my hand in silence, and it wasn't until we were out on the other side that he finally asked me what I'd seen down there. I told him, even though I knew it sounded ridiculous. I didn't expect him to believe me. Out here in the bright sunshine, I was starting to doubt it myself. He paused for a moment. It did seem, he said carefully, that just before they pulled me out, I felt fingers on my ankle. I exhaled softly, then I reached over and gripped his hand. We won't be visiting any more caves. I read all the horror stories about being lost underground, and have seen all the movies. I always said that they were dumb as hell, it was their own fault for going down there. They should have known better, and I vowed to never put myself in that silly situation, yearning to breathe free above the surface. It didn't help that we lived near a huge cave system, literally at the bottom of a local mountain, and an ancient river had cut holes all through the ground. People came from all over to explore, and we even had a minor celebrity or two lose their lives in our soil. Most of the town worked year-round in the business of serving tourists. Highly prepared, generally, and with all air of self-confidence and athletic builds, those all seemed too unafraid of the business in which they were engaged, diving into the pitch dark, squeezing through narrow corridors hundreds of feet beneath our toes. I would have moved to get away from the whole scene, but my house was cheap and the neighbors were nice. I'd lived in the town my whole life. Nobody ever fell into a sinkhole and ended up in a cave there, uh, at least. My friends, uh, I'd likewise known for most of my life, and we enjoyed frequent drinking, and it led to a couple nights where I woke up without any memory of the evening before. I always ended up safely in bed, or sometimes passed out on my floor, with the sunlight streaming in directly strong and causing a full brain-pounding headache, or in a stranger's porch, or in a town jail's drunk cell. When we stayed past last call at the neighborhood bar and upset the staff, my friends were likewise heavy drinkers, and they also had nights where they blacked out drunk. We just took it as normal Fridays, and laughed about our debauchery, and we regaled each other with stories of past weekends. I felt that the ground was calling out to me for a couple of weeks before the incident. I would hear whispers when I was driving by the parking lots to one of the most visited caves, which opened into a complex system and I dreamed that I was walking near the mouth of a great cave with stalagmites bearing out like giant teeth. I thought nothing of it, and not believing in prophecies like any logical 21st century man, but one dream was so bad I couldn't fall asleep the rest of the night. 
I had a flashlight in that dream, and I walked into the cave, and it was full of monsters. I awoke in a cold fright and felt them in the room with me. I had to turn on the lights, and when I closed my eyes, I felt their hot breath and heard their ragged breathing. The next Friday, I planned to get extremely drunk, to get a good night's sleep. The monsters had been in my room, in my mind, again the night after, and the night after that. I certainly met that goal, and we were all three sheets to the wind by 10.30, a rare evening indeed. I wandered out to the bar for a smoke and felt the chill of the November air. I heard the whispering again. It was plaintive and real. It was calling my name. I couldn't have resisted, as much as the rest of this might have been my fault. Could you resist someone calling your name? I didn't realize it was the voice of the cave. The monsters. They knew I would be here, close enough. Just close and unaware enough tonight. They called my name, and I followed. My name is John. I've always been an avid hiker and camper. Uh, growing up, I was taught everything you need to know to survive in the woods. My father taught me how to shoot, hunt, and plenty of bushcraft. Uh, recently, I had gotten into backpacking and really enjoyed it. I would try to go with my friends, but most of the time I ventured solo so I could go my own pace. After graduating college, I decided to go backpacking at a national park that I had always wanted to go to, in the Sierras, none other than Yosemite. So after telling family where I was going and getting everything I needed to survive out there for a few weeks, I made my way out. It's about a ten hour drive, but I eventually made it, and my god was this place beautiful. After a few days of hiking, everything went smoothly, and I even saw a few deer. I got some good fish, and I really enjoyed the great outdoors. Things started getting weird after the first five days. Normally the sound of bugs and little critters at night accompanied me, but there were moments where it was completely silent. Like absolutely no sound at all. What kind of spooked me was I was sometimes seeing weird lights in the distance that I thought were other backpackers, but it didn't look like normal lights from flashlights, but more like orbs of lights moving around. Another few days passed and I ran into another hiker. Her name was Sandy and she was a pretty girl, uh, 22, just like me. We made small talk and she asked if she wanted to hike together since we were going to the same route. I agreed and we spent a few days hiking together as a matter of fact. At night, during a campfire, I asked her if she saw any strange lights at night, and she said she thought she did and took it as a distant backpacker. I didn't press on about it and just went on with the night. The next day, we went our separate ways since I decided I was going back to the lodge to stock up on supplies. I then made camp at the furthest campground near a family with a small child. This is where things got really, really weird. It was late night, the family was going to bed, and I was hanging out by my campfire, having myself a few beers. Later, the fire became basically embers. I didn't want to go to bed yet, so I was just sitting outside, enjoying the peaceful sounds of the night, when suddenly it went quiet. That same eerie quietness as before. Then I saw some movements by the family's camp. I couldn't really tell due to the distance and the dark, but I heard a zipper being undone. I made the decision to shine my flashlight near their campsite. 
Normally this would be rude, but something did not feel right, and I could have sworn I saw a figure of something near their tent. It couldn't have been the parents, since I saw them go to bed with their child when my fire was dying down. Uh, Once my lights got near the figure, I saw something big. Like a bear, but it didn't look like a normal bear. Then, as I moved the light right on the tent, it had the child in its arm and darted out the campsite so fast, faster than anything that size could move. I was shocked, but I got my composure together very quickly and blew my survival whistle. Tent lights began to turn on from nearby as the family woke up in what I could tell was a panic. Where is he? They would ask, referring to their child. I yelled that someone abducted him and joined them to go alert the parking ranger. A search and rescue was immediately started. I don't know if they ever found the child or not. All I did was give my side of the story, and once I was cleared, I went to my travels. I mean, I was getting tired when this happened, so it could have been a bear, but the way it had that kid in its arms, bears don't do that to people. I quickly left that area the following day, and though it was really hard for me, I hoped for the best for the family. This next story really creeped me out, not at the points where I ended my trip, but really made me question if I should continue on. It was late dusk. I was fishing near a river, hoping to get a few fish for dinner. Then, at the corner of my eye, I saw across the river those same lights in the sky, closer this time. I gazed back towards the river, and I shit you not, I saw what appeared to be two figures walking near the fire pit I made. They were skinny, about seven feet tall, and had really big hands and making some sort of clicking sound. I noped the fuck out of there and decided I would camp elsewhere that night. Safe to say, I didn't sleep much that night. This is the last story I have of my trip that pretty much sealed the deal for me. Out of all the weird things I saw, this, I... I can't explain. I ran into Sandy by sheer luck, asked her how she was and if anything weird had happened since we went our separate ways. She said no and was kind of worried about my question and asked me what did I mean by weird. I told her about the family with the missing child and she had the face of someone who just heard their family member got cancer. I didn't mention the entities by the river as I didn't want to frighten her. Uh, She said she and her friend Emily had been backpacking and were going to the top of some dome and asked if I wanted to join. I agreed and we made our way to hike that day to the top of the dome peak. After a night of having a few drinks and good conversations, we all went to bed. In the middle of the night, I had to pee really badly, so I unzipped my tent. I got out and did my business and... Right as I made my way back, I saw Emily just standing by the cliff, looking out. I asked her what the hell she was doing, that it's so late, and she didn't say anything, but I have to go. I told her, go where? It's late. You really should go to bed. You don't get too close to the edge. You're going to fall off. She only responded, I'm okay. Be back to bed soon. I found this whole conversation odd, but decided to just go back to bed. In the morning, I was awoken by Sandy. She was in a panicked tone and asked, John, where's Emily? I said, she's not in her tent. Maybe she went to look at the view. She was out last night doing that. But when we looked, she wasn't there. We could not find any trace of her friend. We looked for an hour in the woods nearby, calling for her name, but no answer. We were about to call an SOS when we came back to our campsite and we saw Emily, right by the same cliff I saw her at last night. Sandy shouted, Emily, where did you go? We thought we lost you. Emily didn't respond, 
She looked like she was in a trance and began making her way closer to the edge of the cliff. Sandy said in a concerned voice, Emily, what are you doing? Get back here, you're getting too close to the... Right as she was at the edge, she broke out of her trance and turned her head to Sandy and back to her feet in a look of confusion. Emily said, What? Why am I outside my tent? She took a step back and turned to make her way back to us. Sandy spoke. What are you talking about, Emily? But after Emily took that first step back to us, she... I... I can't explain it other than one moment she was making her initial step to go back to our campsite, and the next she was flung straight into the air like a ragdoll by some unknown force. Emily screamed. I was in a state of shock, and then we heard a loud but distant thud. We didn't even bother to grab our gear. I just grabbed Sandy's hand and told her, We need to leave, now! Sandy was shocked, tears in her eyes, but I brought her out of her state of shock by telling her to run. She managed to pull herself together, and we ran. We ran for what felt like hours, but eventually, we made it back to the lodge. The staff asked if everything was okay, and I just said in an out-of-breath tone, Call the rangers. Our friend fell off a cliff. It's been a few days since then. Sandy and I spoke to the rangers and search and rescue personnel and told them where Emily had fallen. At first, they thought we could have had something to do with it, but given how far she fell off the cliff, or thrown, I should say, and us passing the polygraph test, we were cleared of suspicion. What was even more strange was the rangers immediately dropped their investigation and began to call in the FBI. The sheriff sat me down and asked me simply, Son, what really happened out there? I couldn't hold it in any longer. I told him what really happened, and when he asked Sandy if this was true, she agreed. The sheriff took a long sigh and said, That's what I figured. No way anyone could have pushed her that far off the cliff, let alone other things we found. I said, Other things? What other things? He only replied with, That's none of your concern. The FBI will take over from here. I probably don't need to tell you this, but I highly advise you call the rest of your trip off. We were let go and given a hotel for the night to stay at and gather our composure. But before I left, I spoke to a search and rescue officer and I asked them if they found Emily, and she said they did, but it was strange. Having fallen off the cliff, one would think they would find her body in such a way it was clear they died from a fall. But he said they found her body, but that her eyes and tongue were completely gone. That's all I could get out of him. The following day, Sandy and I had exchanged contact information and went our separate ways. Before we left, she grabbed my hand and said, I'm really glad to have met you, John. And I'm sorry our trip had to end this way, but I'm glad we made it out alive. I won't forget you. Please be safe. She gave me a hug, kissed my cheek, and got in her car and drove off. I since have been doing a lot of reading on missing person cases, primarily missing 411, and realized that there is a surge of missing people in this national park, as well as others. The incident with Emily is very similar to a few cases I had come across. I do still hike and backpack. Sometimes Sandy joins me, too, though even with my new perspective and safety measures, the way Emily was flung off of that cliff in Yosemite, I... I don't think I will ever go back. <laughs>